Hello there, welcome to another episode of Turkey Book Talk. Thank you for joining. I'm William Armstrong speaking from here in Istanbul. In this podcast we hear from authors of newly released books on Turkey and the region. This is episode number 104. If you haven't already, do consider signing up as a Turkey Book Talk member on Patreon. Becoming a member gets you various extras, including transcripts in both English and Turkish of every interview published on Turkey Book Talk via email as soon as the episode is published. I'll also send you transcripts of the entire Turkey Book Talk archive, which includes a number of extra interviews not previously published on the podcast. Members also get access to an exclusive discount deal, which gets you a whopping 35% off the cover price of all books published in IB Taurus's extensive Turkey and Ottoman history category. IB Taurus, which is part of Bloomsbury Publishing, has well over 400 books in its Turkey and Ottoman history series, including both academic and general interest titles. Turkey Book Talk members receive a special code for a 35% discount on books in that series, including physical books, pre-orders and e-books. It also actually includes the book that we discuss in this very episode, if your interest is piqued and you want to delve a bit deeper. Finally, another perk that signed up members get is an archive of 231 books book reviews written by myself covering Turkish and international fiction and poetry, history, politics and journalism in the Middle East and Europe. The archive is written over the course of five years and used to be available online but nowadays a Turkey Book Talk membership is the only way to access it. To become a member all you have to do is pledge a minimum of $3 per episode via Turkey Book Talk's Patreon account. Christmas is coming so it's perhaps the perfect time to treat yourself or indeed somebody else to a prestigious Turkey Book Talk membership which will surely be a delightful festive gift. New episodes are published every two weeks, so membership amounts to no more than $6 a month. Of course, if you're feeling particularly generous and want to pledge more, then you'll certainly be more than welcome. But so long as you pledge that $3 or above per episode, membership is entirely at your own discretion. Members only get charged when a new episode is published, so there are no prior commitments or strings attached. You'll be free to sign off whenever you want. But now let's get cracking with our latest episode. In it we hear from Jamer Yelbasha. He's a researcher in history at Mardin Artuklu University and the author of The Circassians in Turkey, War, Violence and Nationalism from the Ottomans to Atatürk, published as I said earlier by IB Taurus and Bloomsbury. According to some estimates, over 1 million people in today's Turkey are of Muslim Circassian origin, with ancestors who once lived in the North Caucasus before they were forced out by the hundreds of thousands by the expanding Russian Empire in the mid-19th century. The vast majority of those forced out ended up migrating to the territories of the Ottoman Empire and later the Republic of Turkey. The book describes the course of Circassians in the Ottoman Empire and Turkey, highlighting a number of particularly significant individuals from the history books, particularly in the early Republican period after after 1923. We talk about those a bit later, but I started by asking Jane Yelbasha to expand on who the Circassians are and how they ended up in the Ottoman Empire. Yeah, Circassians actually, they used to live in the North Caucasus, between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. From the 18th century, uh, Russian state actually expanded their territorial aims to the North Caucasus, and they had a war from the 1750s to 1860s. Actually, step by step, Russia occupied the North Caucasus and colonized the territory, and they exiled the uh, Circassians. Uh, from 1830s, actually, their exile started, but 1864 was the peak point for Circassian uh, exile to the Ottoman uh, state. 
about a million people, actually between 800,000 and 1.4 million people were exiled by the Russians to the Ottoman uh, Empire. It continued until 1890s, maybe 1895. They were exiled from the uh, Russian coast to the Ottoman Black Sea cities like Trabzon, Samsun, Istanbul, Varna and Köstence, the other cities in the Balkans. And gra- gradually they were uh, settled by the Ottomans to the central Anatolia and to, to the Middle East. There are many settlements uh, in the South Marmara, like Balıkesir, uh, Bursa, Düzce, Adapazar, Sakarya and in the central Anatolia from the Black Sea to the Middle East like from Sinop, Samsun, Kayseri, Maraş, Hatay, Amman, Jordan and in the Surin province as well like Damascus. Now, I think it's right to say that um, the Circassians are far from a unified group. So there were various differences in language, tribal origin, region, etc. Is it correct to suggest that really the only thing that they had in common was their origin in the North Caucasus and their sort of religion as Sunni Muslims? Yes, that, that's right, actually. There are 12 tribes among the Circassians and their language not the same. They speak uh, different dialects and re- religion may be uh, one of the, their c- common things. But their memory, they shared the same uh, memory. They fought against the Russians and uh, this memory actually keep them uh, together. Now, after they uh, moved to the Ottoman Empire, as you mentioned before, they were settled in various regions, a lot on the Black Sea coast, a lot in central Anatolia, towards the Marmara region, so really spread out quite a lot. And the imperial authorities often used them sort of uh, really as troops almost to impose discipline, repress various rebellions. Where did they, uh, you know, how did they fit into the Ottoman mosaic after moving uh, to the uh, Ottoman Empire? Yeah, actually, it is difficult to say the Ottoman state uh, had a proper settlement policy because Circassians were settled in South Marmara, Central Anatolia, Surin province and Palestine as well, and in the Balkans. If you look the government documents, we can't find a, a proper uh, settlement policy. They were settled mainly to some places to produce agricultural product. And they were also recruited to Ottoman army later on after uh, 1870s. In many places they were settled, there were uh, internal struggle between the tribal groups like in Diyarbakir, in Mardin, for example. And there are places like in Kayseri, there were problems between the Turks and Armenians and we can say they were they were used by the state to to control the uh, region but it doesn't mean the state had a proper uh, settlement policy on circassians very interesting really i mean you've got circassians basically settled in the balkans settled in what's today syria presumably their descendants still live there today uh, actually, in Damascus, there are still some groups. In Balkans, in Albania, there are Circassians. In Jordan and in Israel, we have uh, two villages in Israel. In Jordan, in Amman, there are about 100,000 people. And in North Iraq, there are Circassians as well still. They were all uh, settled by the Ottomans in the 1860s, 70s and 80s. A lot of the book focuses on the key period of the First World War and the subsequent uh, War of Independence. 
And you describe how there were almost sort of civil war-like conditions uh, during that period. You know, various factions on the ground, micro-factions sort of fighting among themselves. And the Circassians played their part in that as well. I mean, what were the Circassians, both notables and more ordinary people, doing at that time? Yeah, actually, majority of ordinary people were rec- recruited to the Ottoman army, like the other uh, people in the empire, like Turks, Kurds. Many units of Circassians uh, were sent to Caucasian front in the World War One, and they were also used in the Ottoman intelligence uh, service, Teşkilat-ı Mahsusa, from the different regions, from the Balkans to the uh, Middle East. They they were recruited, but it was started from the uh, Abdülhamid's time, and with Ittihad Terakki when they came to power. So that's the, the Young Turks, the Committee of Union and Progress. Yeah, Young Turks, yeah, CUP. Especially Enver Pasha, his close circle, actually many people close to him were uh, originally Circassian. And one issue uh, during the, the First World War is become sort of notorious, really, is that many Circassians played a key role on the ground in the massacres of various uh, Ottoman Christian minorities in uh, 1915. What kind of role did they play? How were they sort of, uh, were they directed by the state or was it a more of an informal thing? I think there were some informal uh, fightings between the groups in uh, central Anatolia and in uh, southeast of uh, Turkey. And yeah, actually this... Uh, this is still a controversial topic in Turkey. That's why actually I studied uh, the later period from 1918 to 1938. Now, perhaps the most uh, famous Circassian really in Turkish history is uh, Cherkes Etem, uh, Circassian Etem, uh, if you could translate it as that. And a few of the sections in the book focus on him. And I say he's the most famous. Perhaps it's better to refer to him as notorious because uh, he has this kind of particular reputation in uh, in the contemporary sort of social imaginary. Uh, who was Circassian Etem and uh, what did he do? Yeah, actually, he, as far as we know from the documents and sources, he took part in the World War One, and he was under the his brother uh, Charkez Reshid's unit. And I think they were active in the several parts of the uh, war front, from east of Turkey to uh, Iran. There, there was no any uh, significant document about him during the war. But after the war, he came to the stage when the uh, so-called national struggle uh, started. He was convinced by the Ankara government to fight against the Greeks, then to uh, fight against the anti-Ankara movements. And uh, he was later used, I believe, by uh, Mustafa Kemal to suppress various uprisings that were erupting at this time. So he was sort of instrumentalized in a way within the sort of national struggle. How did how did that happen? Yeah, uh, after First World War, we can say the Ottoman army was strong and still had power in the Eastern Front uh, in Baku, there was a strong Ottoman army, but in the central and west of Turkey, there is no strong, uh, powerful uh, military uh, group. And when the national struggle, actually, we when we are saying national struggle, it doesn't mean uh, Turkish national struggle. We, we are talking about a kind of Muslim nationalism. They didn't fight to create a, a Turkish nation state. They fight to save the Sultan and the Caliphate and the Empire. And they didn't fight just to create a Turkish nation state. 
And Etam was very useful in this period because he was very well known in the region, South Marmara region, and he had about 50-60 armed men in the beginning. And there were some anti-Ankara movements in South Marmara, like Ahmed Anzavur, and in Düzce Adapazarı region. They were also pro-Istanbul uh, and were against the Ankara government. And Etam was used by Ankara government to suppress these anti-Ankara uh, movements. Because he was the only armed, organized, he had only armed and organized group in, at the time. But uh, as you describe in the book, he later fell out of favor, essentially, with the new national authorities. And he was actually sent into exile. And it's very interesting sort of period because he was involved in planning various uh, assassination attempts, actually, against Ataturk. Could you just describe uh, that period of of his life and how it developed? Uh Yeah, actually, he was used by Ankara government against the Greeks and the other anti-Ankara movements. But step by step, he became a powerful person in Ankara. And Ankara didn't have a strong military at the time. They they needed Atem. But at the end of 1920s, his power actually disturbed Atatürk. I mean Mustafa Kemal at the time. Uh, Mustafa Kemal, he, he wanted to control uh, people in the front and in the assembly. But I think what he saw, he couldn't control Atem anymore because... For example, in November 1920, he had about 5,000 armed people in his group. And actually, it was maybe more than many military units uh, under the Ankara government's control. And his uh, increasing power disturbed uh, Mustafa Kemal. Then, uh, step by step, he was excluded from the nationalist movement in uh, December 1920. And he uh, passed the Greek side. He didn't fight uh, against the Ankara government. But later on, the struggle between him and uh, Mustafa Kemal turned like a very personal uh, problem. And uh, he wanted to take a revenge ag- against against Mustafa Kemal. But he couldn't actually organize an assassination attempt. It was an idea always he kept in his mind, but he couldn't realize his actually what, what, he, what he thought against Mustafa Kemal. And Cherkes Etem had this rival Circassian influencer, essentially, Cherkes Anzavor, and uh, they both supported opposite sides, uh, as it were, uh, at the time. So uh, it was complicated. Who was Cherkes Anzavor? Yeah, Anzavor actually, he was from Izmit region. And uh, Izmir is just outside Istanbul in yeah, Northwestern and Anatolia. Uh, south of uh, Marmara, he has also some relatives from Çanakkale, Biga, like uh, again uh, south of Istanbul. And uh, what we see in this period, there was a civil war between Istanbul and Ankara government. And they didn't uh, use armies against each other. They used some like paramilitary groups against each other. Istanbul being the old Ottoman regime, Ankara being the new national forces led by Ataturk. Yeah, Istanbul actually didn't accept Ankara's authority and Ankara didn't accept Istanbul's authority and there was a civil war between these two governments. And they used one of them, Istanbul government, used Ahmed Anzavur, he was also Circassian, and Ankara used Çerkez Etem against uh, Anzavur. Anzavur lost 
his people and his armed uh, groups and he uh, went back to Istanbul. Ethem suppressed his movement, then he went to Düzce Adapazarı region. There was a also uh, anti-Ankara movement in Düzce Adapazarı region. They were also uh, loyal to uh, Istanbul government, I mean the Sultanate. And Ethem also went there and he uh, suppressed the uprising there and hanged about 50 people and he later on uh, went to Ankara. There was a civil war between Istanbul government and Ankara government. Also, there was a civil war among the Circassians. Now, later on in um, Republican Turkish history, what has been the position of Circassians and how have they been characterized, essentially? I mean, what are some of the uh, stereotypes, I suppose, or cliches about them in, uh, in popular culture? Actually, in the early Republican periods, during the single party regime, uh, the Circassian image was very negative because of Chaikazetem incident. In the beginning, he was, in 1920, for example, he was a, like a savior for Ankara government. But later on, he was turned to a traitor by the Ankara government. And his negative image also affected Circassian's relation with the Turkish state. The state as a single party regime and as a nation state, they didn't allow Circassians to speak their language and to, to seen in the public with their Circassian identity. Circassians essentially occupy a separate category really within Turkey in terms of all those ethnic groups that didn't originate in quotation marks originate in Anatolia so you know you have Bosnians you have Albanians Georgians Turks from the Balkans but there was a, obviously there's a distinction there because Circassia or that part of north uh, of the North Caucasus was never part of the Ottoman Empire and secondly, the Circassians never really had a, a real relationship with uh, the sort of notional Turkishness that people from the Balkans, for example, had. So, um, in a sense, Circassians and Turks have sometimes considered themselves apart from each other. Just uh, talk about that, how the Circassians are sort of distinguished from other uh, groups that have migrated to Anatolia in the last two centuries. Yeah, they, they were directly by the Ottoman uh, state, as you said, like in the Balkans. But they had connection with the Ottoman state, like the Ottoman military, Ottoman uh, harem and Ottoman family. There, there were always uh, Circassians in these institutions. Uh, but in the uh, Republican period, in the early Republican period, they were seen as Anatolian. Okay, they were not Turkish, but the government didn't see them as, as an outsider. The policy was to assimilate them into the Turkish identity, but the uh, state uh, didn't aim to exile them or send them back to North Caucasus. They were seen as Anatolian people. And they had people in the army, in the intelligence service, in the CHP. There are Circassians in the single party regime as well, during single party regime. That's why actually they were not treated as bad as some uh, other groups like in the early Republican period. And today there are thought to be around two or three million Turkish citizens of Circassian origin uh, in the country. And many, of course, have, uh, from the community have risen to the highest uh, stations in the Ottoman Empire and the Turkish Republic. And they've had a big influence on uh, late Ottoman and early Republican Turkish history, as we've described there. Uh, but it's probably fair to say that uh, I think Circassians remain a bit of an enigma, really, a bit of a mystery in Turkey today. It's not really a, a very public conversation that's had about them. I mean, do you think it's right? Is it right to describe them as something of a, yeah, an enigma in, in today's Turkey? 
Yeah, because they were not known very well uh, by the people in Turkey. And if you don't know uh, something or some people, you create a mystery about them. And uh, there are very uh, limited academic works on Circassians in Turkey. Uh, I, I think one of the reasons why this mystery was uh, created in uh, Turkey because of there is no uh, information about them. And always there are some some people say, okay, they they are very active in the intelligence service army, but actually it's not that, that much. It's same like other groups in Turkey. One of the uh, major, if not only really, public events where a collective Circassian identity is in evidence really is this annual march uh, that takes place on Istanbul's Istiklal Cadesi and I don't know, possibly elsewhere. And uh, this is to commemorate what uh, demonstrators call the Circassian genocide uh, every uh, May 21st. And it's always a surprisingly well-attended event, really. It's very loud, very colourful and visible. When did that march start to be organised? And uh, what does it tell us, really, about uh, Circassian identity, I suppose, in uh, in Turkey today? Actually, this, it was started in early 1990s, but late, later on, it moved to Istiklal uh, Street in Istanbul, I think maybe 2006 or 2007, because the Russian consulate is based in uh, Istiklal Street, and many activist groups, they choose to uh, protest in front of the Russian consulate from the 2007. A- every year in 21st of May, many people in Istanbul, they go to uh, Istiklal Street, and the other cities like in central Anatolia, in uh, other part of the Turkey, which Circassians uh, live, uh, they, they were also some uh, demonstrations and march uh, in the uh, city centers. And how did it, how did that get started? I mean, whose idea was it? Was it the sort of uh, uh, the initiative of a particular activist group, or how did it uh, develop initially? Actually, to move these protests to Istiklal Street, it was idea of Kafkasya Forum, and they were started it in 2007. And actually, there was there there were some discussions about the incident. Some people call it as genocide. Some people call it as exile. Some people call it as migration. But after this group moved this incident to Istiklal Street, many people actually started to call it as genocide. And many actually uh, studies, like articles, uh, books about this topic, were published. And people actually people started to call this incident as a gen- genocide. It was not like a migration or a uh, exile. It was done by force by the uh, uh, Russian state in the 1864. That was Janer Yelbasha. Many thanks to him. If that interview has piqued your interest, you can get a 35% discount on his book, as well as over 400 others, by joining as a Turkey Book Talk member. If you're interested in the subject, may I also suggest delving into the Turkey Book Talk archives. Back in February 2017, we published an episode with the historian Benjamin Fortner on the life and times of Eshref Kuschubasha, a very controversial but very interesting Circassian character from the late Ottoman and early Republican eras, who unfortunately we didn't manage to cover in our conversation with Janer Yelbasha. I've reposted a link to that episode with Benjamin Fortner on armstrongwilliam.wordpress.com. It's worth a listen. And if nothing else, just to check out the even dodgier quality of my microphone back then, as well as my rather less practiced interviewing style. 
Anyway, the interview you've just listened to was episode number 104 of Turkey Book Talk. If you're a fan of the podcast, do consider signing up as a member on Patreon to support it. Membership gets you that special 35% discount on Turkey Ottoman history books published by IB Taurus and Bloomsbury. Transcripts in English and Turkish of every interview as it's published. Transcripts of the entire Turkey Book Talk archive and access to an archive of 231 book reviews written by me covering Turkish history and politics, literature and various other things. To become a member and get all that, just pledge a minimum of $3 per episode via Turkey Book Talk's Patreon account. Also, do please rate or review Turkey Book Talk on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use, which is very useful for getting the word out to new listeners. Follow via Twitter or like the Facebook page, and I always enjoy hearing from listeners, so please send any recommendations, feedback, or abuse to Armstrong at gmail.com. But until our next episode of Turkey Book Talk in a couple of weeks, once again, thank you very much for listening. Vision, vision, vision.